Okay, Nehemiah chapter 13, and this morning we're going to be starting in verse 9, because we, we began the chapter a few weeks ago. So, well, let's open with prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word, and that uh, we can learn uh, more about you and about the uh, relationship you have with your people, and and uh, especially how Nehemiah responds to the uh, uh, the situations that you give to him. And we just pray that you'll help us to learn from that and apply it in our lives. And we pray you bless our time now. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, let's read. We'll start in verse 1, read through verse 14. Since we don't have all these long lists of names... Uh, We'll, we'll be able to do some reading again. So, uh, starting with verse 1 in chapter 13. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, because they did not meet the Israelites with food and water. Instead, they hired Balaam against them to curse them, but our God turned the curse into a blessing. When they heard the law, they separated all those of mixed descent from Israel. Now, be, now before this, Asa had the priest having authority over the storm of the house of our God was allied with Tobiah. He had prepared a large room for him where formerly they put the grain offerings and the frankincense, the utensils and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers and the gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. How far are we going, Daryl? Fourteen. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time I asked leave of the king, and came to Jerusalem, and I then discovered the evil that Elisha had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased, and threw all of Tobiah's household possessions out of the room. Then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms, and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away each to his own field. So I confronted the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their, in their stations. Then all Judah brought a tenth of the grain, new wine, and fresh oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouse, Shalemiah the priest, and Zadok the scribe, and the Levites, Badeah, and next to them was Hanan. You son, said there would be no names. Zedaskor, <laughs> uh, I'm making them up. <laughs> the, the son of Mathia. For they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to their brethren. Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds, which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. Okay. Now, I didn't say there was no names. I said there's no long lists of names. <laughs> That's the, yeah, that verse 13 was the hardest one. Um, so anyways, last uh, time we were together in this book, uh, we did uh, start out with it. If we remember, um, 
Nehemiah came in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes to build the wall. Uh, they did that. He, um, and so we talked about building the wall with all the opposition. He dealt with some issues like uh, um, exorbitant interest rates and enslaving the people uh, for, for, and as debtors. Um, got the wall built. Uh, then they celebrated the Feast of Booths where they actually made booths and lived in them. And they said it was the first time they'd done that since the days of Joshua. And they had a revival. They had uh, the people uh, heard the word of God being taught. They realized uh, what their sins were. They confessed their sins. Uh, they had this large service. We went through like an entire psalm where they confessed their sins and and following that, they made a covenant with God about all the things they were going to do. They were going to follow the law. And so all this probably happened <clears throat> within the first year or two that Nehemiah was there. So he was quite busy. <coughs> but then after 12 years, as that was his first stint as governor, he went back to the king, um, whether it was in Babylon or in Susa, one of the capitals, but he was not in Jerusalem uh, for an unknown length of time, but I think it must have been several years based on the fact of how badly things fell apart while he was gone. And that's what chapter 13 is about. Because he returns and he's got to fix all these things that broke while he was gone. Um, and the first one we started talking about was uh, the problem of uh, Eliashib, the high priest, was related to Tobiah the Ammonite. And Tobiah, if you remember, was one of the main uh, problems with trying to get the wall rebuilt. He, was, he opposed that. And so Eliashib uh, gave him a large room uh, in the temple complex that probably was being used as an apartment. So whenever uh, Tobiah came to Jerusalem, he would have a place to live because it mentions the fact that... Uh, uh, Nehemiah throws out his household goods. So I don't think it was like a, you know, you store a place in Jerusalem for someone from Am Ammon. So uh, it was probably a, an apartment. And we also look back historically um, about the fact that the Ammonites and the Moabites should not be in the assembly of God. And they were excluded from the whole temple complex. So this was a defilement of the temple, and the high priest was responsible for it. So it shows the problems that Nehemiah was facing with even the religious leaders were not keeping the law. It's like when Jesus went to the Yeah. And we looked at that, you know, when Jesus went into the temple, actually twice he threw out all the money changers. Um, and so Nehemiah did that same thing, and, and that's where we, we kind of ended up... Um, in verse 8, last time, he said, it was very displeasing to me, and I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. And so that's where we stopped last time. So this morning, we're starting up again in verse 9. He says, then I gave an order, and they cleansed the rooms. And I returned to there the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. So after tossing everything out, uh, this room 
or actually rooms, plural, were ceremonially unclean. And so Nehemiah gave the order and the Levites and the priests cleaned the rooms. They purified the rooms. Um, and I want to look at a, another illustration or example, going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 29. And this is a purification of the temple, not just the storerooms. Second Second Chronicles, excuse me, wrong wrong book. Second Chronicles, chapter 29. So this is during the time of Hezekiah, during his um, revival. Someone like to read verses 15 and 16 for us. They gathered their brothers and consecrated themselves and went in as the king had commanded by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. The priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, and they brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and carried it out to the brook Kidron. Okay. So this was during uh, Hezekiah's uh, predecessor, Ahaz, was uh, one of the kings that practiced idolatry. And they had actually placed idols within the temple and defiled the temple. And so they had to uh, cleanse the temple, take all this uh, idolatry, uh, idols and things out. If you remember, only the priests could go into the temple itself. The Levites could be in the temple complex, but not within the temple itself. So the priests had to bring the things out from inside the temple. They brought them out. The Levites then took them and tossed them outside the city, um, probably went to the southern tip of the city and tossed them out the refuse gate, <laughs> mm-hmm. threw them in the garbage pile and into the Kidron Valley. So now back in, in Nehemiah, they're cleansing, in this case, storage rooms. Uh, there were some storage rooms or rooms built along the north and south walls of the temple. These I, I don't think that's where these were. These were probably another building you know, within the courtyard uh, that were used for storage. So it wasn't the temple itself, but uh, in the complex. So once the storage rooms were cleansed, then Nehemiah restores them back to their intended usage. So he has the Levites bring back and it says the uh, temple utensils, the grain offerings, and the frankincense. So that's what they bring back. But what about, if you go back to verse 5, what else was stored in these rooms? Tithes of grain and vessels of oil. We had tithes. Yeah. You basically had the tithes, and it, and it describes, you know, some, some was grain, some was wine, some was oil, and the portions of the tithes that were for the priests. Mm-hmm. Remember, 10% of the tithes that went to the Levites were given to the priests. Um, so why isn't Nehemiah restore, having him restore the tithes to the storeroom? Well, there weren't any. There weren't any. Right. So that introduces us to the next problem that Nehemiah has to deal with. First, he had to kick. What room would there be in there for 
for him if all that stuff was in there. Yeah. Right, everything had been taken out. Yeah. yeah. And it was a large room. So let's look at let's look at verse 10. It says, I also discovered that the portion of the Levites had not been given them, so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away each to his own field. The tithes were not being collected. There were no tithes to put into the storeroom. Um, so this is the next problem he's going to deal with. Is There's an interesting little word here. Uh, at the first part of verse 10. And in New American Standard says, I discovered. This is a real common word, but it's translated lots of different ways. NIV says, I learned. New King James, I realized. Um, English Standard Version, Revised Standard Version, I found out. King James and American Standard, I perceived. <laughs> That's just the variety of English, yeah. It does, but it's like, why can't we be universal? <laughs> it all means the same thing. A lot of that's just for variety to make the, our language more interesting. Sometimes there's little differences of meaning, but in this case, he came to the knowledge that this hadn't happened. So I, I used a different term. <laughs> came to the knowledge. So, um, But I can I can kind of see, you know, Nehemiah, he... he commands the rooms to be purified and put everything being put back. He comes to check on it. He goes into this large room and, you know, you've got utensils. How much room do those take up? So there's a little pile of utensils in one corner. And then you've got uh, frankincense, which is, you know, a very expensive spice used for the, um, the incense. Again, not a big quantity. So you've got a little container of frankincense and then it talks about the, well, there's some grain from the uh, grain offerings. And again, not a lot. So he walks in, and there's this huge room, and there's a little pile of stuff in one corner, and he's probably saying, where is everything? Where's all the tithes? Um, the answer, you know, well, there aren't any, right? So, if you remember several years earlier, back in chapter 10, so this is, might be like 15 years earlier. They had that large covenant they made with God. They said, oh yes, we'll, we'll bring all our first fruits and our tithes for the priests and the Levites. We won't neglect the temple. So here's 15 years later and they had failed again. Um, but it reminds me of the, that one verse we looked at that said during the times when Zerubbabel and Nehemiah were governors, that the tithes were brought into the Levites. But as soon as Nehemiah left, they stopped. So it's only when the governors made them bring the tithes that they actually brought the tithes in. So kind of the result of this is that the, the Levites and the singers kind of were left on their own to make a living on their own. They were not being supported. So they left. They went back out, uh, back to their own fields where they could uh, raise food. And with the Levites gone and the singers gone, what did that do to the worship services? There wasn't any, right. No music. I mean, they, had, they did the basics. They probably did their morning and evening sacrifices and whatever else was actually required, the bare minimum. 
but they had no real worship services. And so this was kind of the condition they were in, you know, again, 15 years earlier when, when Nehemiah finished the wall, you know, they, none of the Levites were living in, in Jerusalem. They were all outside in, in the villages. So let's turn back to chapter 12. Um, someone like to read verses 27 through 29. Okay, so they were all scattered all over. They had to gather them all, collect them, bring them back to Jerusalem. So that's what, you know, here's 15 years later, Nehemiah has to do it again. They've all gone back to their own homes outside of Jerusalem to raise crops and keep themselves alive, and he has to bring them all back again. So the people have been neglecting uh, the temple service by not paying their tithes. Let's turn to Malachi, chapter 3. Again, Malachi's, uh, if you look at the dates when he preached, it was, it kind of overlapped uh, Nehemiah. And so, you can see some of the things from Malachi are, are similar to the the situation that Nehemiah faced. Okay, Nehemiah chapter 3, and someone like to read verses 8 through 10 for us. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. I will open not if I will if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be not room enough to receive it. Okay. So this is really a I guess a focal verse used when, when people are teaching about the tithe is uh, this verse from, these verses from Malachi. But they were, again, Malachi was condemning them because they were not bringing the tithe in. They were neglecting God's house. They were robbing God. Uh, they owed God the tithe. It was his command to them. Now, in, in the church age, we are not specifically told to bring a tithe. So sometimes this, these passages used to teach that. But, but we're not specifically under the law of having to bring a tithe. Um, but we do have responsibilities, financial responsibilities. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy chapter 5. And someone might read verses 17 and 18 for us. 
the elders who ruled well he considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Okay, so here we have Paul telling the church or through Timothy that you need to support your pastors and teachers who devote themselves full-time to the service. That's what we had in the Old Testament. The Levites had their, um, their provision in Israel did not include territory, land. Their provision was the Lord. And this was how they were supported through the tithes. So they were full-time, basically in full-time ministry. And so the church has a responsibility of, of supporting uh, ministers too. So it's not sp- specifically a tithe that has to be collected, although some churches and some cults do that. Um, but we're, we're told that we are responsible for providing Okay, so he, Nehemiah finds out that uh, tithe is not being collected. So what does he do? Starting in verse 11. So I reprimanded the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together and returned them to their posts. So first thing he does is he rebukes or reprimands the officials. Now this word for rebuking is... Uh, he's first used back in chapter 5. Let's, let's look at that. Chapter 5. Someone would like to read verses 6 and 7 for us. Okay, so here our word is translated a little differently in verse 7. Uh, I think your, your version says uh, accused. Uh, mine says contended with. So he's basically bringing a charge against the, the nobles here. This is where they were uh, charging interest, um, taking the other Jews as uh, bond servants uh, on the basis of loans that were not being repaid. So we have that rebuke, uh, verbal rebuke, strong rebuke, um, not necessarily uh, punishment. They weren't being fined or anything, but they, if we remember in, the, in that chapter, they were, they were brought before a large assembly and Nehemiah laid down the law in front of everybody. So, you know, it was a public rebuke. Big yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a, a verbal spanking in a sense. Um, now, we will see this same word again in verse 17. Then I reprimanded the nobles. And again in verse 25. And I contended with them. So that seems to be one of the themes of this chapter, is rebuking the people for uh, all the problems and failures of the, that they've committed here in these few years while Nehemiah was gone. Now, one of the things you notice here in, in our verse is uh, who he delivers this rebuke to uh, is the officials. 
And a lot of times as we're going through the book, we've seen um, the different classes of people. We'll have the officials, or also called the rulers. We have the nobles. And then we basically have everybody else. Um, and a lot of times you'll see them together. Uh, when we when we read uh, chapter 5, verse 6, we had... Uh, uh, both nobles and officials, or excuse me, the nobles being rebuked. Um, in chapter 7, in verse 5, we won't look at it, but there we have the nobles and the officials. So the nobles are probably um, basically the, I guess you'd call them the outstanding notable citizens of Jerusalem who are usually the, the wealthiest ones the ones who have influence, uh, the ones who are connected with business, whereas the officials are the ones who are actually the government officials who keep the, the law and they have the governmental authority and responsibility. So what it looks like here is that it's the officials who are responsible for collecting the tithe. They were the ones who are supposed to enforce this law and make sure the tithe was collected. So Nehemiah doesn't directly go to the nobles who should have been the ones paying the tithes, but he goes to the, uh, in a sense, the, the police force who should have made sure that they were doing it. He says, why have you uh, forsaken the house of God? And I think the point one of the points here is, you know, the, the officials may have said, well, you know, this is just another rule. We don't necessarily have to keep it. It's a lot of extra work, so uh, so we won't bother doing it. But Nehemiah says, no, it's not just a rule to enforce. It's forsaking God's house. It was a duty to God himself, not just a duty to enforce a law. It had to do with a relationship of service to God and obedience to God. And that's where we had looked at Malachi. He said, you know, why have you despised the house of God? Why do you look down on God and treat him as not being important? And that's what the officials had done. So that's the first thing he does. is He, he, he rebukes the officials. And then the second thing we see is that I, he says he gathered them together and restored them to their posts. <clears throat> so who is the them? I still remember from high school handing in an English paper and coming back with all this red ink on it saying, indefinite antecedent. Who does them refer to? Who does they, he, she, who are you referring to? It's not clear. Uh, so here we have an indefinite antecedent. Them refers to the Levites. He brings them all back into Jerusalem, puts them back in their stations because he's going to make sure they're provided for. They don't have to live on their farms. Um, so he brings them back to the temple. And then the third thing we see is in verse 12. That he does. He says, All Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. So he makes sure that this is done. He gets the officials to 
and the Levites to go out and make the collections and bring the tithe in. And so here it's, it says all Judah. Um, we had something similar back in chapter 12 and verse 47. Let's look at that. So this is right after the dedication of the wall. So we're going back 15 years again, about. Um, and uh, they had a tremendous worship service. The people love the music. They love to see the worship. And they all bring in their tithes. And, and so verse 47, it says, And so all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah gave the portions due to the singers and the gatekeepers as each day required. So here in, in chapter 12, it says all Israel. In our verse, it says all Judah. So those are being used synonymously here in this, in this book. Um, so they had been pleased to bring in their tithes back then. Uh, now, one of the things that happened is that you know, the storeroom had been mismanaged by the high priest. So going on to verse 13, Nehemiah needs to fix this problem. It says, And in charge of the storehouses I appointed Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Pedadiah of the Levites, and in addition to them was Hanan, the son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable, and it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. So here he has uh, four names of the people he appoints to uh, take care of the, the storeroom. Uh, there's a priest, a scribe, and it looks like two Levites. Now we had, again, back in chapter 12, verse 44, there were men appointed to take care of the storerooms. So let's, somebody like to read that for us, chapter 12, verse 44. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes, to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns, for Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites in those days. Okay, so they they appointed people before to... Um, watch over the storerooms. The thing that's missing here in chapter 12, verse 44 is, first, what were their qualifications? What does it say? Nothing. It just says men were appointed. And does, it, does it say who appointed them? It doesn't say who appointed them either. It's just... Hey, you, you guys over there, why don't you come and you... <laughs> you know, they may have just assigned it to somebody. Um, not a lot of effort put into picking them out or anything like that. So now, in chapter 13, verse 13, Nehemiah appoints certain men, and they are described as considered reliable. He picked reliable men, and he appointed them... <clears throat> because they were reliable. 
This word reliable is first used back in chapter 9. And this is interesting because the words, I, I didn't expect this. So back in chapter 9, someone liked to read verse 7 and then the first part of verse 8. That's the first few, few lines of verse 8. Okay. Okay, so the word translated reliable in chapter 13 is here in verse 8, where it says, You found his heart faithful. So, God found that Abraham believed, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He believed in God. So, if that's what the word means and what Nehemiah was looking for are men who believe in God, they're, they're accountable to God, they know they're accountable to God, they're responsible to God. It's not just a, you know, like an unbeliever who usually keeps his word or something, but I think there's a, a faithfulness aspect here, a religious aspect in faithfulness. And then going on uh, in Nehemiah, back in chapter 7, in verse 2, um, this is when he first gets the walls done and has doors on in the gates. It says, chapter 7, verse 2, And I put Hanani, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, in charge of Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. So again, we see this faithfulness. This is a different word here. And again, it has to do, it starts with his relationship to God. And he's, he fears God, he loves God, and therefore he is faithful to uh, keep God's word. And, and Nehemiah can trust him in this to do his job. <clears throat> Let's turn to Acts, book of Acts chapter 6. And we see it. Appointment of faithful men to carry out uh, work for people of God. Acts chapter 6. Look at verses 1 through 6. It says, Now at that time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables, but select from among, your, from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. 
So here we have, again, faithful men appointed. In this case, again, it's, it's handling food and distributing the food properly, which is kind of the same thing we have uh, going on uh, in Nehemiah's time, because this was the food coming in for the Levites. And he needed reliable, faithful men to handle that. Um, I also want to look at Luke chapter 16. and talk about faithfulness and reliability. In Luke 16, this is Jesus speaking in verses 10 through 12. He says, He was faithful in a very little thing, is faithful also in very much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So God respects here uh, faithfulness. He rewards faithfulness. Um, and Jesus points out, if you're not faithful in little things, it just shows that you're not going to be, you're not faithful at all. Why, why should God give you bigger responsibilities? If you carry out little responsibilities, then he'll give you bigger ones. And one last verse here. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, this is Paul speaking of his own responsibility. In verses 1 and 2, it says, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. So we see this all through scriptures, this need to be trustworthy with the responsibilities that God gives you and to carry those out. And that's the kind of man that Nehemiah was looking for to take care of the storerooms. Because we saw the problems that developed uh, earlier when uh, the storerooms were being abused and the tithes were not being collected. So he wanted righteous, faithful men to take care of doing that. And that is a good place to close. Robert's up here. I'll ask you to. You want to close in prayer for us? We can do that. Okay. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank come before you grateful for who you are thankful that indeed by your grace by your patience by your mercy we can be called children of god Lord. father i pray that you would just instill into us an ongoing attitude of thankfulness we thank you for this time and the word this morning we look forward to this next hour to come and Lord, may you just use your word to teach us even more commit all these things to you in your holy precious name we pray amen, amen.